Our lesson for today comes from Amos chapters 1 and 5. The words of Amos, who was among, uh, who was among the shepherds of Tokoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of King Uzziah, of Judah and in the days of King Jeroboam, son of Joash of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds wither and the top of Carmel dries up. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as, just as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be the Lord that the God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take a away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Growing up in Northeast Pennsylvania, floods were an aspect of our lives that we simply had to learn how to deal with. At the end of winter, the snow to our north would begin to melt, and the ice would begin to move down the rivers, and the spring rains would bring inches upon inches of water to an already soaked ground. The rivers would rise, and the fields would flood, and we witnessed the awesome power of the slow-moving water. But these are not the floods that we Northeast Pennsylvanians remember. The floods that we remember are those from Hurricane Agnes and Hurricane Sandy and countless other meteorological events that caused the waters to rise rapidly and move swiftly and take away everything in its chaotic path of destruction. Remember these floods because they brought the most fear, the most power, the most shock and awe to the very core of our communal life together. In our scripture lesson this morning, Amos cries out to God, praying for justice to roll through Israel like the crashing waters of a flooded river, for righteousness to flow like an ever-flowing stream. But you might be wondering, who is Amos? Under what authority can he make such a request? I mean, granted, Amos, the book of Amos is like eight chapters long in the middle of somewhere of the, New Te- or the Old Testament. So I don't blame you if you don't know who Amos is. Amos was a prophet of God, uh, and he was prophesying in what is known as the northern kingdom of Israel, when Israel and Judah were two separate kingdoms. And while he prophesied in Israel, he frequently and usually prophesied against Israel. And here's why. During this time, Israel was finally at peace. It was a time of great national pride. Outside countries were no longer interfering with the internal affairs of Israel. The economy was booming, and the people certainly enjoyed all of the benefits of a booming economy. They got to eat and drink their fill to the sounds of music. Old houses were torn down. 
for newer and shinier and bigger houses that were built in their place. Perhaps some had enough wealth and enough privilege to own their own, well, cabin down by the sea. Please feel free to stop me if this is beginning to sound at all familiar. It was a good time for Israel, and they might even say that they were, perhaps, the greatest country on earth. Finally, all is going well within Israel. But then Amos comes along and gives them a bit of a reality check. In the chapters and verses we didn't read this morning, Amos stands up in front of his local congregation and begins to prophesy. He condemns the neighbors of Israel for the horrible war crimes they committed against Israel and the people of God. He condemns Damascus and Gaza, Tyre and Edom, the Ammonites and Moab, and especially that southern kingdom of Judah. You can almost hear the people gathered crying out, Yes! Amen! Condemned they shall be! But then Amos changes his tune, and the people go silent. For next up on the deck to be condemned is Israel. Israel, who sells the righteous into slavery for debts of large amounts, but the poor for just the cost of sandals. Israel, who tramples the heads of the poor into the dust of the earth and pushes the afflicted out of the way. Israel, who freely allows men to abuse women. And again, I say, stop me if this at all sounds familiar. Israel may not be so great after all. I know sometimes it can seem hard to figure out how words spoken thousands and thousands of years ago uh, can still ring true to us today. But I think Amos's prophecy continues to give us our own reality check. How can a country whose founding document states that all people are created equal have to say black lives matter because they clearly don't? How can a country who daily increases its unprecedented freedom and wealth also increase the amount of people who cannot afford to eat, who cannot afford a place to live, who can't even afford basic services? How can a country founded on the principles of life and liberty continue to strip life-giving and life-saving health care away from those who need it most? prophecy of Amos was uncomfortable to the people of Israel, and it should be uncomfortable to us too. These questions are uncomfortable to us. Why is saying Black Lives Matter feel uncomfortable? Why is acknowledging the poor feel uncomfortable? Why does all of this shake us to our core? Well, perhaps it's because it implies that maybe we're not as great as we thought we were. Perhaps it forces us to realize that our individualism and that our own successes means the suffering of another. It sheds light on the fact that we may not be caring for or loving our neighbor as much as we thought we were, or worse, as much as God calls us to do every day. Now, we know what it means to care for the poor, right? I mean, we hand out those care packages to people on street corners who are homeless, I hear stories of the lives that each of you touch every single day by building relationships with our African-American communities and our Muslim communities and, and just our community in general. I really do believe that each one of us truly and deeply cares for our neighbors, 
and for the poor. However, our job is not done yet. In fact, our work will never be done. Our work will never be done until all people can eat their fill, until all people can afford to live in their own house, until all people can live a holistically well life. Yet our work still won't be done even if all of those things do happen, because it will not be done until we value providing quality care to all people over money. It will not be done until people no longer feel the need to rain bullets down over a concert or into the heads of people knelt in prayer. It will not be done until our first instincts after a tragedy are not to call for the destruction of another human life, but instead to gather together, to care for the victims, and to reach out to the perpetrator and bring them into new life and transformation that we know through Jesus Christ. This is what the river of justice looks like. It's a movement of the Holy Spirit that catches everyone on her way. It means being swept away in the work of God in the world and being all consumed by the urge to do justice in the kingdom. It is a river of life that does not judge people on what they look like or what they do. It is a river that provides life for all people simply because they are children of God. But that's not all it does. Like the great floods of our time that we all know and that we're all aware of, and all of their awesome power and might, this river erodes away the soil and the bedrock. It erodes away and washes clean those things that we have done and created to ensure our own successes. The river of justice is an invitation for us and all people to instead return to the love of God and to rely on God alone, not our own systems. I have seen the good work that we have done together as a community, but we must keep going. We must rely on God alone and we must be swept up in God's river of justice that never ceases to flow. We must continue in our work to show the world what it means to live in the kingdom of God, to build relationships with people, to show the world that God loves everyone as exactly who they were created to be and that we love them too. We must allow the bedrock of systemic problems that keep us from entering into relationship with God and with each other and do not promote life. This is what it means to be in the river. This is what it means to live in the kingdom. This is what God calls us to do as God's children made in God's own image. So, Trust in God. Let the river of God's ever-flowing justice and righteousness sweep you away. Invite everyone you meet into the river so that they too may also be swept away. Let us trust in God to erode the soil of our culture that prevents life and relationship. Let us trust in God to guide us and direct us to the places and people who need to be connected back into society. Let us trust in God. Let us follow the river to wherever it may take us and to whomever may need us. Let the river flow and let us not work against it. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.